It's NOLA History Guy podcast for Saturday, June 20th, 2020. you guys had a good Juneteenth uh, in these uncertain times. Yeah, you know, but uh, it's a good thing that more and more folks are, are recognizing Juneteenth as a as an event, as a holiday, as something meaningful, uh, not just to the African-American community, but to the entire nation. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted yesterday, you know, it's like we, you know, white schools just didn't really touch on on Juneteenth in New Orleans and I think mainly it's because it was considered to be just a a Texas thing you know we had uh, everybody else follow the Emancipation Proclamation except for Texas so naturally all the slave owners that could get their act together went to Texas so it took an additional proclamation or an additional general order from the Union Army to tell the rebel slaveholders that no, you can't have slaves anymore. So yeah, and of course the way I put it was, you know, it's like if it's a Texas thing, eh, you know, New Orleans isn't really gonna, it's, it's gonna be easily dismissed. Okay, we didn't do that, Texas did it. But the holiday, the, the now holiday's bad word here, but the, the remembrance of Juneteenth has lasted for over 150, 155 years now. So it's a good thing, you know, it's in, in that sense. So I hope you guys had a good Juneteenth and I hope we get to start calling this like the, the Juneteenth weekend or something where people really do go out and, you know, have another cookout and have a kind of a second fourth of july in terms of you know the the celebr the celebratory uh the activity of the day and that kind of thing so we've only got one segment for you today and that's going to be uh part two of our interview our second interview with uh katie shannon who uh is a historian author and just expert on uh slavery on sugarcane plantations and well, you'll see when we talk to her. The first uh, in in uh, uh, the first segment when we when we uh, talked with uh, chatted with Katie, we talked a lot about her book on the New Orleans Bee, and we'll put all of that stuff up. You need to buy this book if you're if you're into really when I say ah, really old. If you're into antebellum New Orleans history, you want to read this book. It it gives you a, a good bit of direct insight, uh, firsthand insight into how the uh how the creoles thought and functioned in new orleans uh prior to the southern rebellion so uh that's where we're gonna go with this is just to uh we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk to katie nola history guy podcast is brought to you today by elysian fields press publishers of trusted talents Book two of the Bayou Talent series by Edward Branley. Someone stealing magical artifacts in the middle of Mardi Gras. The priests of the Ordo Archangeli keep their tools hidden until needed. New Orleans has kept some of their secrets well until now. 
Daniel McCain is a dark adept of the same group that tried to kill Ren Alciator at Sawan. Now McCain comes close to acquiring a powerful set of tools. When all are in his possession, challenging and defeating him will cost lives. And there's no better time to hide these thefts than Carnival. The Ordo don't know where the thieves' next target is. Ren wants to enlist the help of one of McCain's cousins, Brooks Sterling Sumner, to learn more about the artifacts. Renard Alciator's talents are no longer hidden. Will the shadowy group known as the Assembly trust him? With the guidance of a coven of witches and knowledge from his new friend, Ren and the Assembly must protect their city from those who want to win at all costs. Bullets and magic are a strong combination to defeat. Trusted Talents is the second book in the Bayou Talents series. It's available on uh, Amazon.com uh, uh, as, uh, as a Kindle book. And in paperback, si uh, either signed by the author from the Alicia Fields Press website or in local bookstores around New Orleans. So again, that's Trusted Talents, and if you'd like to order it, go to ElysianFieldsPress.com. That's ElysianFieldsPress, all one word, dot com. And we're back. We're going to talk to historian and author Katie Shannon. This is our our second interview with Katie, where we're going to talk, you know, first time we, again, we talked about her book. Now we're going to get into a little more about her work and the kind of things she's doing now. So here we go. Okay. And we are, we have a, a returning guest on, on NOLA History Guy podcast. We've, we had Katie Shannon on, uh, uh, you know, uh, a while back uh, to talk about her book about the newspaper, the New Orleans Bee. And, well, we just had too many things to talk about, so we've got her back. So, hi, Katie. Hi, Edward. I'm so delighted to be back speaking with you. Fantastic. Okay. So, quickly, uh, yeah, just Katie is, a, uh, is, is, is an historian. I always, that, that A and N with historian hey. always gets on my nerves. But Katie is an historian. Yeah, yeah, I know, really. Okay, so... So Katie's a historian. She has done an incredible amount of work uh, in particular researching Creole history, plantation history, history of the enslaved. Keep going. Tell us, give, give us the quick rundown on you so we can refresh everybody's memory from okay. the last time we had you on. So um, I graduated from LSU with um, a master's in history and um, really wrote my master's thesis on Creole women, both enslaved and free, and then went to, uh, to work for um, Whitney and did some early research there for about three years. Um, from there, I went on to work for Laura Plantation. I was the historian there, and um, I helped write the tour. I helped you know, in an advisory capacity, but I also designed and curated and researched an exhibit dedicated to the enslaved uh, community at Laura alongside San Marmion which we're very proud of and I think is just remarkable. And I'm, I'm still so proud to be able to tell those people's stories, to have been part of that. Um, and then from there, I went, um, um, I became head of history inter and interpretation at Evergreen Plantation, where I um, 
collected tons of research and from there compiled a database of over 400 individuals who were enslaved on Evergreen and that is up on our website and I've done a lot of writing for our website and um, and, and research, I'm beginning to try to get families from the community involved uh, because many of them descend from Evergreen. Perfect, that's wonderful. Yeah, this, I, I just love that. So um, let's start with, with Laura and, and your relationship. Can you tell us a little bit, because now I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you my impression of Laura Okay. And you're gonna, and then you're gonna tell everybody how wrong I, right or wrong I am, which I okay. don't, and I don't know. Okay, all right, right. but okay. So, uh, so my my whole thing, you know, growing up, you 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 know, you know the big, you, you know the the well the, to me the, the the big one, the big plantations in everybody's mind are in the Gray Line tour and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, close in. If you just wanted to go bop someplace, you went to Destrehan. If you wanted to go up and make more of a day trip, then you went to Oak Alley and possibly all the way up to Nottaway, okay? And Destrehan to a lesser extent, but Oak Alley and Nottaway are where total terror gone with the wind. The marketing was you're, you come see the Old South and insert Old South stuff here, kind of marketing, right? And we only say servant. That was what up until recently it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can. It's like I, I'm not a fan of mint juleps, and you know, I've taken <laughs> some. So I've taken some dear friends who live just outside of Dublin in Navan in Ireland, oh, and yeah. we drove up to um, we drove up to to Oak Alley, and I had to take a, a work call. You know, as a cell phones hunt you down everywhere, right? And next thing you know, my, 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 my dear friend is putting a mint julep in my hand. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, they just spent 10 bucks on this. Right. You know, and I was like, you know, yeah. but anyway, yeah, that, okay. That's really good. Okay, so now, like I said, I used to do some computer work up at Oak Alley way back in the day. And um, literally close to before you were born. I hate to put it that way, but you know, it's like, I mean, because the well, because of the like I said, that it, it's it's. I can't remember the when interview with the vampire came out. But I'm older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't even have you, you you don't have the stress lines you should with the kids. But that's another mm -hmm. story. But you know, because yeah, I know you go crazy with with trying right, to right. not you know. That's my you know, side kill your children. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so anyway so i'm driving past laura and i'm saying to myself this house is not as grand as right. oak alley or not away and at some point now i'll let you fill in all these blanks this is my impression mm -hmm. at some point it's like it, it seems to me that the folks at laura needed a way to keep up and they decided that the way to keep up was to tell the, I don't want to say tell the truth, but, you know, not say servants, you know, and not to tell the truth, right? To tell the real story. And of course, we have Whitney doing the same thing, but the paths for those two, in terms of how they got to where they are with their, with, with their story, seem to be very different. So I'll let you tell, yeah. So you tell me, the, tell me the real story because that's well, my impression, I, right? I don't think, and Norman and Sandra, my dear friends, and I don't think they came at it with an agenda. I think they looked at it and just saw possibility. And it wasn't about competing with anybody. It was about 
what is the story on this property and what they saw and what they knew and what first attracted them to Laura was the folklore, the Creole folklore collected by Alce Fortier from the Vachery area. And um, it was, they were tales from Senegal brought by the hey, African. Hold on. I, I, I got, I hate to interrupt you at this point because no. you're on a roll. We better tell everybody where Laura Plantation is. Okay, so Laura I'm, Plantation. I'm going to put it on the show page, but right. yeah, give, give people a, a geographic focus. It's located in Vashery, Louisiana. Um, if you look at the deeds of the sale of the plantation, they will say 50 miles upriver from New Orleans on the right bank, which is what they used to call the West Bank. Uh, and and it's, it's near O'Galley. It's not far. Um, and it's in a little town called Vashery. So Alce Forche grew up just down the road on Valcaram Plantation, his grandfather's plantation, which is now no longer there. There are gardens, but they're not open to the public. And he was a professor of folklore and, and language at Tulane University in the 1880s and 1890s. And he went about collecting stories that were told by the enslaved and the formerly enslaved in the Vashri area. In fact, in all of South Louisiana, because most of the slaves in South Louisiana came from the Senegambian region and um, early on. And these stories were about Compère Bouki, which is the, uh, our friend, the, the hyena, and Compère Lapin, the, uh, our uh, friend, friend rabbit. And it was a trickster story and all about outwitting the, um, the more powerful. So this translated well into the plantation setting in that these enslaved were teaching their children that even though you are owned, you have agency and you can outwit the master and you can be smart and find ways around things. So I'll say, and I think the nuances may have been lost on him because unfortunately he had a little bit of um, a not woke bent, if you will. Um, <laughs> he he, he was very hair. much yeah. the, the espouser of the happy darky story. Um, but, but to his, to his benefit. Is that how Compare Le Pen becomes Br'er Rabbit in general? Correct. And so, so that is similar, similar to situation, but in Georgia, Joel Chandler Harris writes those down and, and that's, they're, they're the same kind of thing brought from Africa. Okay. And, and, right but they are the more famous, possibly because of the English accessibility. So the, right. I'll say uh, writes them down in both French and English and publishes them in okay. both French and English in a more scholarly way than Joel Chandler Harris did, I think, with the other ones. So they became more accessible. But Sienna and Norman knew about that. And they saw it as a way of preserving and a really important cult, a part of our cultural heritage in South Louisiana. So that was the initial. And Laura was blessed with original slave cabins, which they immediately knew were valuable and did preservation right. work. They're not in the original location. They've had to move them, but they are the original cabins themselves. And they were also very blessed in that they had the memoirs, Laura's memoirs, which through great detective, historic detective work, they discovered up in St. Louis. So they had a, like a written document detailing everything that went on at this plantation and the genealogy and the lives. So, you know, in that way, it was very unique and a primary source document that anybody would kill for, frankly. Um, 
So they had all of that and those resources. And they are not people to shy away from the truth, like you said. So the stories they told came from Laura's memoirs. And remarkably, Laura, as a woman in the 1830s, uh, pardon me, in the 1930s, she was born in 1861 on the eve of the Civil War. She, was, she told the stories about slaves being branded and slaves being trying to be sold away from their children. And she did not shy from this. So they told them. And that, that became compelling to a lot of people. And the thing about Laura is, yes, it looks unassuming. It looks very colonial because it was, because it's the original house from 1805. It's a farmhouse. Yeah. It is. And that was, if you were to travel up and down the river road, primarily what you would have seen. Oak Alley was, was um, 1840s, 18, late 1830s, um, 1840s. It was the time of the boom and sugar when people wanted to show off their wealth but at laura and for so many of the plantations along the river road particularly the creole ones they did not show off their wealth at their farm they had beautiful grand homes in the vieux carré in the french quarter so right. the parks and the cools at laura had their farmhouse where they lived during the sickly season during the summer and then they would return to their huge mansions in the French Quarter on Toulouse and Bourbon right near the Opera House and that was where they showcased their wealth it was it, that was the mindset of the time if that makes sense that I, I, I don't know where yeah I, I don't know why all of a sudden that came back to this but I keep thinking because of, of in particular of Vienna that the 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 imperial family were they they summered in the Schönbrunn and wintered in in the Hofburg in the middle of downtown Vienna and I just yeah I, I it's it almost sounds like the same thing but we're just not on a, that grand of a scale but you know it's the same idea it modeled feudal Europe that's what yeah. they look to as their example and well that 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 perp that fits yeah that makes sense okay so but, but make a note that we're going to be talking about these people and their city life at some point just you know because that'll tie us back to the b because like i as, as last time we did this as you know, i told you i said that one of the things that fascinates me the most about the b as a newspaper and everything is the stories it tells of uh, of enslaved africans of 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 both the both free blacks and enslaved blacks in the city and how the lives and the stories are so much different from the enslaved on the plantation. Well, right. first off, there's probably very, where, where, were there men, were there free blacks on the plantations or did um, they just no, go to the city? No, there were some and they did okay. live nearby and often, okay, so you had, as with anything, different levels of class. So you had free Creoles of color who owned land out in St. Charles, St. John and St. James parishes and they, had their own plantations and they had some enslaved labor that worked for them. Also, you had some who were like masons or coopers or carpenters who were hired on the plantation. Skilled, skilled trades. Yeah, skilled craftsmen. Gotcha. Right. Okay. But almost all of them can be traced back to the original families who settled there in some capacity. Either they were related or they were freed yeah. for their services early freed. on. Right. Gotcha. Okay. That may, okay, thank you. That makes sense because I just I don't know why it just never dawned on me to think. Yeah, we talk about uh, free people of color, 
And it's, it's like for a lot of people in New Orleans, and I know it's like, you know, those of us who live in New Orleans and don't study history are just doomed to be ridiculous, you know, <laughs> but, and it's not, and it's not ridiculous. I, I, like, okay, you, you tell somebody free person of color. And I think for the most part, people immediately think of Treme. They think yes. the Tremé neighborhood and Farmer Tremé, you know, because that's, well, and especially because St. Augustine Church is the spiritual nexus of African-American Catholicism in, in, well, in the world, but, you know, but at least, at least as far as we're concerned. But, and so it's like, you think of the, the, the fencing instructor and the seamstress yeah. and the, you know, the, but that just is gone on me. It's just, what? Where are the people up the river? But anyway, oh, yeah, they have people they up the river. So, the okay. The yeah. biggest center was in the river parishes. It was a little town called Lucy in St. John the Baptist Parish. Okay. And there was the Saraparu house there, which we at Evergreen work in conjunction with them. And we're trying to turn that into um, a historic site that can be visited and talk about the experience cool. of three people of color who owned plantations. So you're changing the language into landed and unlanded laborers in a sense. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that means, yeah, okay. Yeah. Our community there. And in fact, their descendants still own the original land there. Very um, cool. Yeah. Okay. And they attend St. Okay. John's so, Baptist Church in Edgard, where I was married. Ah, yeah. okay, right. Mm -hmm. Which is a gorgeous little church, but anyway. It yeah. is. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you, 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 you didn't go Big Isle, you know? It's like, oh. you, you went, you went history. You didn't go Big Isle, wear dress longer. You know, I thought that was okay. cool. Well, so. my ancestors, the Coms and the Dues, helped establish that church in the 1750s ah, okay. and 1750s. Yeah. So, so the roots are deeper than the desire to walk up the aisle at Holy Name of Jesus because that's huge, right, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. I think that I think that's cool. You know, but you know, Thanks. it's like anyway. Yeah. So okay. So back to Laura then. So they're turning up all of this really cool stuff, and so I, is it fair to say that's the that's the angle as it were? Because you know, let's face it, you're trying to bring people up the river to visit the house. Mm -hmm. And so the angle is the culture. It's the it's Creole. the folklore. It's and yes, okay. As opposed to, uh, and I can I say this with all love and affection for my ancestors, as opposed to some Irish guy who just ran a farm, you know, ran a pig sure. farm. And well, it was about being Creole. Okay. Being Creole had a lot to it. And when yeah. I first visited Laura. For the first time, and, and you have to understand, my parents carted me all over the United States visiting historic sites. We were in Boston, and we were in New York, and we were we were everywhere. And I went to plant. I made them take me to plantations in Natchez. My poor parents. <laughs> let's uh, let's do the uh, for the, the narrator inserts here and says just to remind everyone, Katie's parents were teachers. That's right. And teachers do teachers. these things. Yes. They, yeah. They they. Yeah recognized my passion and even though they didn't share it they they encouraged it and i will say this not until i was 21 years old and went to laura plantation and heard the story that was told there did i recognize my family's story there is so ah. much to being creole and it's so similar and it's so so volatile so that's what so <laughs> right so the your personal history draws you to 
this work and this research. Yes. Obviously. It's like it's it's more than just I think this is cool. It's I think this is where I come from. I know this is where I come from. It is. And I, I also think that the while I do not carry guilt or shame about what my ancestors may or may not have done, I do feel that I have a calling to redeem and to tell those stories. And we need to sit down and tell the stories. And that's the only way we will heal. And the only way we will see that we are all interconnected because we really are. And, and that's absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So tell us how you came to Laura, because I mean, Laura, I, I, I'll let you tell the personal part of this that has to do with three you know, rugrats that are running around your house. Well, aren't running around your house <laughs> at the moment, but you know, but you know, cause yeah. Cause when I met you, you were, well, I knew, yeah. I, I just for everybody background, I knew Katie's husband, Robin, before they got married. And that's a beer story in itself, but you know, <laughs> cause anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But, um, but the point being that, yeah, it's like, you know, it, it's, you were, you were working at Laura and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world because I don't know diddly about plant. No, what what I know about cool. plantations is yeah. Well, that thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, okay. So the, my, my point being that, yeah, it's like, so tell us about Laura and how you came to Laura and then uh, I'll let you tell about how you left Laura because, or you know, how you ended up having to, you know, well, you go know, babysit I kids, you know? Yeah, well, I was I was 21 when I first visited Laura, and it was a hot day driving down the river road with my friend Brian McGowan, who is now a professor of history at Grambling University. And I was a graduate student, and literally, I would spend my time in graduate school when I wasn't in class driving up and down the river road, looking mm -hmm. at things and looking at abandoned things. And I just immersed myself in what was there because I felt that you could not know uh, you could sit and read all you wanted to, but if you w didn't see it too, it wasn't going to be as meaningful. And he said, you know, what about, what about that place? You ever been to that place? No, I've never been. Want to try and go. Okay. Walk in. It was life changing experience. Greatest experience of my life and a remarkable tour. And, you know, I descend from people from the Bordeaux area and France as does Laura's family. They talk okay. about how Laura's great-grandfather had to come to America through the French Navy because he had to leave France because he killed a man in a duel. Now, my mother's of a dream whose ancestor joined the French army because he killed someone in a duel and wound up. In I love it. Military. I love it. That's okay. Just, so I'm here God, we've got a... We've got, you've got a novel here, you know, uh, you've, I, got, it is. It's very, you, you've yeah. got an honest to God, <laughs> honest ripping novel here. I know you're going to cringe when I say you could write a Harlequin, but you probably uh, make it, more it, money it off is. of a Harlequin. You know? It's not my bag, but yeah, it, there, there could be. And, you know, I, I we'll talk because I think I could, anyway, I have some, <laughs> I, I have, I, I, my, my focus, it's, it's amazing. My focus when I was at UNO, cause I was, a, uh, uh, I was a social studies education major. Oh, so I got my, I have it. I, my, my degree is in education, not in history, but mm -hmm. I've got enough 
I, if I probably would have swung the whole dual major thing, I probably could have a history and anyway. But I, I focused very much. Ambrose classes? Were you in Stephen Ambrose's class? I had okay. I had I had Dr. Ambrose for second semester American history, history twenty five oh two, and uh, and now you know the one thing. Let me let me throw something out to you that you're probably going to roll your eyes at. He walked into class. This with is second, dogs. You know, first with semester, dogs. With oh, always dogs. with the dog. Yeah, the my dog. Mother, the, the, the urban legend. Edward, my mother was a social studies education major at UNF. And sat in okay. on the class with When did she graduate? 76. Holy shit. I graduated in 80. We just barely missed yeah, each other. But anyway, missed, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So the, the urban legend about the dog is the dog knew, could tell if you were cheating. Yes. That, he was, an ac that he was an academic version of a drug dog. Wait, I misspoke. My mother graduated in 1980 as well. Y'all were contemporaries. I'm sorry. She graduated high school oh, in 76. Damn. So y'all were contemporaries. Oh, okay, where she and where did she go? She went to Mandeville as well, or oh no, my, my, my parents are West Bank people. She went to L. W. Higgins on the West Bank when it was all girls. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm, I'm impressed. Okay, yeah, I okay, we'll talk anyway. Yeah, I, I need yes. to know more about that, but anyway, yes. yeah, but we're the same age then. Okay, that's cool. Yes. Okay, so uh, well, anyway, so yeah, Ambrose is mutt. Okay. He literally, that dog, he just took that dog everywhere. Right. Yeah. You know, and the urban legend about the dog was that he was a narc. Okay. <laughs> but he was a narc that could tell if you were cheating. Yeah. Or at least we would tell people, sure. you know, we would tell freshmen, dude, if you see the dog in class, whatever you do, don't crib anything. Don't, you know, you wrote it on your hands, you know, and people who took us, People believe this, you know, that the dog was a narc. It was great. It was the nicest damn dog you ever had. Anyway, I had, I had Ambrose for second semester American history. And I got uh, the, the, what will make you cringe because of your research and the kind of things you look at is he walks into class and he says, this course begins in 1898. He hit the fast forward button from Appomattox Courthouse to the USS Maine. And he said, stipulate reconstruction, stipulate Western expansion. We are starting with Cuba. And you know I was why he like, did that? holy shit. You know why he did that? Because World time. War II was his specialty. It's his passion. Right. Oh, he had it. absolutely, yeah, uh-huh. It, yeah. It's like he had, um, I mean, he wrote the book on Lewis and Clark. He wrote sure. a book on the Transcontinental Railroad. Right. You notice that his interest it's it's like sawed off a tree branch at the Civil War, you know, at, at 1860. Done. It's like yeah. he wanted no yeah. part. Right. Right. I don't want any part of this. And so that's exactly it. You know, where he, you know, well, anyway, long story short, I, when I came to take military history, there was a, a uh, history, there was a, a prof at, at um, UNO, his name was Willard Fan, or Fond, I should say, because F-A-N-N, he was, Dr. Fan was incredibly German, right? I mean, he, so I waited to take the military history course in the summer when Ambrose was off walking Lewis and Clark or something. He was off, you know, he would gallivant in the summer, right? And so Fan taught military history. And the reason I did that was because I was getting tired of hearing about Eisenhower, frankly, you know? Right, and so, right. Yeah, 
so anyway, yeah, I had, yeah, I had Ambrose. It was, it was, it was awesome, you know, and, uh, but, but yeah, okay. Well, that, that, that all makes perfect sense, you know, but so you, okay. So yeah, so you're dragged around and you get brought to all these plantations, but Laura has all this stuff. Okay. So did, did, did they offer you a job or did you offer to camp out on the doorstep and wash dishes for free and, well, it's a little bit of both. I, after their, after that horrible fire, I, I, I remember reading about it or hearing it on the news. I cried that morning. I didn't know Stan and Norman then. I was just someone who had visited multiple times and was deeply connected yeah. to what I had heard. And so my friend Brian said, Katie, let's go volunteer. And I am an introvert and I do better with dead people. But I said, okay. I will try. I totally, I totally like <laughs> I, I give me a dead person and, and a book and I'm happy, but okay, we will, we will do this. And thank God Brian did because I met Norman and San who are my dear friends. And I remember I said, hey, this was not glamorous. This sounds glamorous. There are many parts of my life that sound glamorous. They're not glamorous. Okay. <laughs> I cleaned up this clock and shined and shined this clock that Laura's father had that was on the mantle. And that was my first job in public history, okay? Um, Norman can lay brick, taught me about laying brick, and this is the soldier brick, okay. and you build off of there and stuff like that. And now um, at the time, they were not capable of employing me as a historian because they were rebuilding from both a fire and a hurricane. Um, That's right. So I went down the road to to Whitney, and John Cummings graciously offered me a job, and I worked for him for three years there at Whitney. Which um, I will say, the the records that exist, sacramental records that exist for Whitney in terms of recreating an entire population, the same for Evergreen, um, are are tremendous. The Catholic Church is stronger than Laura then. Yes. Is that because of the fire? No, it's because, um, and if you, if you ever want to know more about this, read Lee Loomis's um, Speaking French in Louisiana. Um, the priests okay. of the individual parishes kept, you know, some of them were ardent, like very, very tenacious record keepers. Some of them could care less. Some of them, um, the, the documents got lost. Some of them didn't feel like writing down when a slave child was baptized. But in St. John, Father Minna kept all the records. And he was very- Meticulous, yeah. okay. Yeah, he was meticulous. Okay. Now the other thing about, if you look in St. James, the, the parish church was farther away. So you had to travel farther okay. to get to the church. So those were, so that offered um, some really interesting insight. Um, and, and the Haydells, who owned Whitney Plantation, had been here with the original arrival of the Germans who came, you know, the German pest ships. And that was very early. So Laura, we're talking about 1805. Whereas with, with the Haydells and St. John, we're talking like 1720s, 1740s. Okay. Like it's, it's much earlier. So it was exciting yeah. to be able to work with that. That our, our Germans are more Catholic than other Germans in other parts of the South? Yeah. So or is that, is, is that coincidence? I think what happened with John Law advertising to come to Louisiana, he really kind of, um, he focused on certain groups that would assimilate well, well here, and that included the Alsace-Lorraine 
area of France, which was that's, okay. France. That's all Catholic. Sometimes yes, German. Right. Okay, and they were all Catholic, and they were sort of French, yeah. and they were sort of German, and that's what made them so good at assimilating once they got here. If they survived gotcha. the place, but well, of course they didn't die of one of a million anyway. We yeah, that's yeah. Gotcha. So I, okay. I enjoyed my time at Whitney doing that, um, and then after you know several years, Sand was very passionate about telling the story of the enslaved who lived at Laura. And she said, you know, the fire and the hurricane, they, they really set us back. Um, mm-hmm. And we're finally getting around to it. And will you come be part of that with us? Um, and they recognized that I, I knew what I was doing at this time with the documents. Because I've been doing this for 15 years now. So at that point, I think I'd been doing it about mm, eight years. So I went and helped her and we worked together. Sand is a very good researcher on her own uh, merit. And we created, well, the first thing that we did and which I would recommend to many, many people is to go to the notarial archives. The notarial archives downtown is just a wealth of information. And we found all the slave sales. And if you go to- I found, I found the plan book of the first St. Aloysius High School. I am telling you, that's the beauty of Louisiana. Yeah. You will not. And you know, you gotta, you know, when you go in, if you're not, if you're not tracing down, if you're not working for a title company, you know, when you go in there, you got to tell them exactly what you want, because now they are, they are your, they're your wingman for, you know, it's like, I I went in and I, I had, you know, it's like, I, I, I known from Robinson that um i i'd known from the from robinson where the um where the school was and i had a reference and i had a block and everything else and i'm like i wonder if there's a plan book so i go in there and and it's like the first person i mean she's she still i can't remember this lady's name it's terrible but she follows the history page um she, uh, i said i was i was looking for the first uh, i was looking for the first saint aloysius i gave her the block i actually had the yeah, I printed out the piece of the Robinson and everything, and it's all there. And and she went to Mount Carmel. And so, of course, as soon as I said I'm hunting down, it's it, it, it's typical New Orleans, right? You know, it's like yeah, it's like every time anybody who goes to the notarial archives, tell them exactly what you're looking for, and all of a sudden you just got an unpaid intern who you you have you you know, yeah, they just they eat this up. They have. They have, they share our passion for this, like nobody's business, you know, it's like, if you're doing a title search, like I said, that's the sad people in the, in the stacks, but you know, it's like, if you're looking for a picture, you're looking for a, a plan. Oh yeah. That's like okay. So you go. Yeah. Wait, I like the stacks better. I get to be by myself with my dead people. Yes. Oh, don't give me. The, yeah. It's like, in case you ever, in, in case you ever want to know DD in the library of Congress card catalog system is German history. (laughs) Why do I know that? Right. Yeah. Because UNO is a, is an LLC system, but anyway. Okay. So you're into, right. So, so you, so you leave Whitney, you go do all of this great stuff. You start telling their story or you're working with them to tell their story. And we work with, um, you know, we were very cognizant of the fact that some people didn't want to be found. Some people don't want to be approached about this. Some people are not open to this, but on Ancestry.com, there are the people who are. And Oh, gosh. I, yes. Yes. And when I would see a name that I knew was connected with Laura, we would contact them 
and we have worked with many okay. people and helped them. And Sand is so good, she will copy all the documents and give them to them and say, here. Oh, very cool. Okay. To you. Mm -hmm. And if you go into the exhibit about the enslaved community at Laura, which is at the end of the tour, there is one full room filled with every slave sale that we have tracked for the plantation. And you can look around you and physically look at, at the evidence of what the slave trade was. And you can see all the names and it's, yeah, it's a lot. And when we opened um, the exhibit, we had a soft opening and we invited um, people to come, um, primarily press. Mm -hmm. And one of the people who came it was um, involved with the River Parish Tourism Commission. And she had been born and raised in um, the Wallace area. And she came to me and was just talking about, oh, I heard my people came from Laura. I said, what were their names? Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Told me. And I said, I know exactly who you're talking about. And I went to the wall. Oh, wow. Yeah. To her great great grandfather's slave cells and where uh, coming wow. from, Virginia. and yeah, and and it's those moments like that that make it real and make it meaningful, and why you do what you do, you know. Um, and so that I will forever be proud of of that work, and I encourage people to visit Laura and to look at what was done in there because the the idea was not just to focus. In fact, it was not to focus at all on the victimhood. Okay, it was to acknowledge that there was brutality, that it was a system rooted in violence. However, these people endured and they triumphed and they found ways to make a way even in the midst of horror. And so we were going to highlight how they did that and how their lives mattered. And Sand was always about celebrating their lives. And so when you go in, you will see the different skills and the, the artisans and the incredible work that they would have done and their wonderful passion for religion and find founding churches and uh building community things like that yeah that's cool okay um i know it's not i i know the answer uh i i know the answer to this question before i ask it but i'm gonna okay. ask it anyway is is it fair to compare Whitney to Laura? And I know you're just going to shake your head and say I'm no. I'm going to say no. But yeah, right. But um, people, there's always there. There, there, there. I go to Whitney or do I go to Laura? Right. That's what they're going right. to ask. Okay. So it depends. Right. On Especially the people who have a day trip, right? And you know that right. kind of thing. Yeah. So it, it depends on what you're looking for. Depends on the kind of experience you're looking for. Now, uh, Whitney, I respect it. I think its mission is important. But Whitney will. And let's remind people you work there too. So I yeah, did. it's like you're, you're right. You're coming at this from. You know more about both than the average person. Right. Sure, sure. But this is the thing about Whitney. It is a broad presentation of the experience of slavery in America. Okay. So they take WPA narratives from across the South. It is not specific to that location. They're talking about slavery as a whole. Okay, so if you're looking for a broad scope of, of narrative about slavery, and you want to really only focus on the enslaved experience, and perhaps hear more about the brutality than anything else. And there are people who need that. And I'm glad oh. they're doing that. Yeah. 
go to Whitney. That's every white person in the South, but that's another story. Right? I, I you know, agree. Now, Laura. If your people. Mm-hmm. Laura's well, hang on. Before we get to Laura, let me let me say. So, yeah. is it fair to say that if like if your people came from Alabama or Georgia or North Carolina, and now you're down here in New Orleans and you want to do the plantation day trip, if you don't have that direct connection, but you want to understand the whole story, maybe mm-hmm. Whitney is the better trip then. Possibly, but. Part of what the whole story is and what I think needs to be told and may not win me any points on either side, honestly. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. You have to talk about the psychology of slavery. Uh, You have to talk about the people in the big house to understand what was going on with the people on the quarters. They were interconnected. Sometimes they were related which we talk, talked about at Laura. And if you really want to feel it, you've got to hear the individual stories. Nothing is going to be as compelling as individual stories. And when you find out you're standing in the same room or on the same ground as the people you're hearing the story about, that becomes an experience that you will find unforgettable. So the thing about Laura is they do it on an individual scale, on a very very focused level, but that allows the expansion of the narrative then to be applicable to, to all experiences, if, if that makes sense. Um, it so does, yeah. On, on what you're looking for, but you know, um, I think they're both doing a great job. I personally am, am really proud of the work we did at Laura. <laughs> so. Yeah, well you've got that, yeah, anyway, yeah, it's just yeah. awesome, but yeah. I, I get that. All yeah. of it's good. I mean, and well, and you, you, you did a deeper dive. I mean, your, your, yes. your, your job at Laura was a deeper dive than what you did at Whitney. You I understand absolutely that. absolutely right. Right. So, right. And so naturally that would obviously That's be more proud of the deeper because dive. Because they yeah. are literally individuals to me. Like they are people gotcha. to me. Right. I know them by name. I know who their children are. And Oh, you know, those stories that, 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 that you built up for the website are just incredible. You know, the, the, just the individual stories in the page. Oh, yeah, anyway, yeah. It's like, I want to reorganize their website just because I, yeah, I think they need to be highlighted better, but, but yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so, so Whitney to Laura to Evelyn. Evergreen. <laughs> Evergreen. No, no, Evelyn. Evelyn, well, As Evelyn, in- I know, Evelyn was con. So the beauty of what happened with San was that San said, you can mm-hmm. do this part time and you can work from home. And I did it with Evelyn. I did it with my firstborn child. Right. I remember I, that. That's right. I yeah. had all three babies while I was working for San. Yeah. Right. And, and that was a beautiful thing. And, you know, in a way, um, kind of harkens back to like what the mothers would have experienced on the plantations themselves being torn between Am I with my children? Am I out in the field? Am I working? What am I doing? And, and this way I got to have it all. I got, I got to be a mother and I got to be, uh, follow my passion. So I had all three babies and then um, Jane Body at Evergreen had approached me before. She'd been, she'd been approaching me many times throughout the years. And then I finally felt like the work I had done at Laura was, was um, I, I was proud of it. And then I needed to do it somewhere else. 
Gotcha. And further expand. You wanted to do it again, basically. I wanted to do yeah. it again. And I knew that right. the resources at Evergreen were going to be fascinating and different. And, and I was ready for that. Makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Okay, so tell us about Evergreen. Okay, so Evergreen is the most intact plantation in the South, which is remarkable because everything is where it was and everything is still there. All wow. the original slave cabins are in the spot where they were and they all still exist. So this opens the door for archeological research that can be done in a gotcha. way that's not done at any other site. And, and this is what you meant by evergreen should be more academic than tourist anyway. Yes, and it will. And that's Cause the, now, right. Because you don't have tourists tramping on everything. Right. Well, and we want to continue to educate via tourism in terms of like school visits, that kind of thing. But in terms of marketing and trying to draw in tourists through the kind of, you know, PR stuff that you do, we, we don't. We don't need or want that. We want the focus to be on educating people. We don't need yeah. to tantalize people with a story or, you know, need a headline. We, we just wanted them to come and learn and listen. Perfect. And, and that's okay, so part tell of us, what the website is. Gotcha. We're going to yeah put, put a pin. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 basically I'm moving Katie into the podcast here, everybody, because we have too many <laughs> things to talk about. But I think we should talk about Evergreen completely you know, we should take a whole, you know, segment and talk just about Evergreen, but that's, you know, yeah, because I, I know it, it, the work that you did and, and you guys have done, with, tell us about the database. That's, that's, I think, the most visible, you know, immediate thing that you guys have done is, is the database. So it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And I think that it delivers what goes on, what went on at the plantation and, and the lives of individuals on a very, in a very tangible manner that people can access and feel like they can get direct information. So I had all these records. I had all the succession records, like the estate records. Um, the beautiful thing about multiple people dying who owned a plantation is you get a lot of records. So starting yeah. in 1790, we have, we have 1790, we have 1800, we have 1830, um, 1841, 1852, 1858. You know, you see what I mean? We have a lot of records, yeah. the inventories mm -hmm. that were made at various times. So that allows you mm -hmm. to track people. And so you can track the enslaved people that way. Then you have bills of sale. Then you have the wonderful sacramental records from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church because Father Minna wrote it all down. And the Haydells were, uh, and Becknells who owned Evergreen were located in close proximity to the church. So they would take their people there, their enslaved people there and write it down. So all of that data, I then compiled into a spreadsheet. Now, it's not just something you can input because you have like six Josephs and you have six Josephs born right. in 1810 and 1812. And maybe the 1812 one is also the 1810 one, but you got 1846 and who was his mother, you know? So you have to, it's not something anybody can do. You have to come at it with a working knowledge of the community as a whole. But then once you do that, you can put it in a spreadsheet and turn it into a database that is then searchable and accessible 
for people and it can serve as a tool. Jane Body, wonderful Jane, wanted the community that she has known because Jane lived at Evergreen for many, many years. Ah, okay. But she taught catechism at St. John the Baptist Church just down the road. She oh, knows these there you go. people. Yeah. These are her people and her friends, and she wanted them to have access to this data in order to understand their family and their heritage. So it's for that gotcha. purpose, but it's also for scholars, researchers, and people who are just curious in general about what a plantation looked like. And um, okay. so, so occupations were listed, um, places of origin, whether they were Creole, born here, speaking French and Catholic, or whether they were American, sold down here, um, what year they were born, who their mothers were, all of this is included. And we've also then started something called the Ancestor Project, where we highlight individual stories or stories of individual families, which has been... Okay helped enormously by my favorite source of records, the um, Union Soldier Pension Files, uh, which come from NARA, from the um, National Archives in DC. And these were enslaved individuals who once Butler came in, in 1862, they started, the, the Union troops started coming into the countryside. And when that happened, even though they, the slaves weren't technically free, they they basically no they were butler's property at that point but that's right, a whole other right they were yeah. contraband yeah and so right. many 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 yeah, they're army properties yeah right and in joining the union army they gained their freedom and they gained freedom for their family right. and then they were able to fight for freedom for others and in the 1890s they were able to file with the federal government for pensions for their service and these files are just tremendous sources of genealogical information as well as just um, because they predate the WPA narratives by 50 years. Oh, that's true, huh? Yeah. They predate mm -hmm. the WPA narratives by 50 years and they were interviewing adult people. Like at that point, they were elderly. They had right. been adult. And that's also almost primary sources at it, that it, point as opposed to WPA. Yeah, it's 100% right. primary source because you are at that point in the 1890s, the pension examiners were interviewing people who had been adults as slaves. These were not children right. in the 1940s talking about what they had heard. These were people who had right. experienced it. So these are hugely important documents. Unfortunately, they're rather pricey um, to order. And that is the impediment. Uh, but so basically, if to really knock that out, you got to go up. You have to go up to DC. You have to go to. No, you can order them. Oh, okay, but you, you got to pay. Them, okay, and they send them to you, okay. and you anxiously await for several months before the, the file <laughs> arrives in your email. Okay, and it's like Christmas. I remember. I remember you posting about this because mm -hmm. of that. That Ushidi, the mailman's here attitude of, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I remember you talking about this yeah okay, i i would rather a union pension file arrive in my email box and in your pair of shoes or anything other women like <laughs> i have no interest in those things give me a union soldier pension file but this is huge these are huge sources of information and i did them for laura 
and it was remarkable at Laura and then I did them for Evergreen and at Evergreen they will say like we were the slaves of Lesanne Becknell who was the owner of Evergreen Plantation and we lived here and this is yeah and they discuss gotcha. their lives there and so that yeah. has also contributed to the database and to what we are calling the ancestor project which is on the website at evergreen uh, plantation.org and we continue cool. to update that yeah. Yeah. right okay well this is this is wonderful what and, and as usual we've come up with five other ideas sure. that kind of thing for Radical. you know what we're going to do here at some point we are definitely talking about the the more direct connections to the city i think that because okay. You know, the, the, the idea that these folks owned plantations, they owned farms, but they owned yeah. really cool houses in the quarter, I think is something that would, that can, I don't think anybody talks about these connections as much as they ought to be. So we definitely are going to, are going to okay. get to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, this, yeah, this is, a, I think we're, we're at a good point to, 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 to stop for now. I was going to, get you to talk about your book, but I think you know, the, the book in progress, as opposed oh. to the book on the New Orleans beach. Yes. But I think we, I, we're at a point where let's put a pin in that and we'll okay. come back to that in, 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 in the future because well, also too, cause you're writing, I mean, you, what is it? You said you're, you're delivering the manuscript later in the summer, August. right? So August, or you're hoping to, yeah. No, okay, it's going to be done. Even if little children have to just be put in a room somewhere. Um, <laughs> I have You're getting better at that, and I'll give you that. And by the way, I do appreciate, uh, is uh, they're with your parents or his? They're right with today, my parents or, right now who have been in our quarantine circle. Okay, so they're not uh, like we expect. Well, yeah, but no, no, that's wonderful. They're yes, please circle. tell your mom and dad, thank you, you know, for giving me you for two hours. I because always do. For listeners, I, I, have, I really, I have, no, but tell them thank you from me. Because, I will, yeah, I, I know you, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm always thankful. No, I have three children in four yeah. years because with like, like with everything, I'm overly ambitious. So I have a five-year-old, <laughs> two-year-old, and a one-year-old. And, and there's that. Yes. And they're, my I, and they're wonderful children, but I was kind of, uh, that was, I told you, know, I, and I, I told you point blank when we set this up, that if we get, if, if Ellen, if, if, if Ellen would, be, would have become part of this podcast, would I was have. okay with that. Yes, absolutely. And I would have totally okay with that. You know, oh, so Evelyn is fascinated with how people used the bathroom in the past. <laughs> so you can I have a it. whole podcast segment with Evelyn about that topic if you want. About bathrooms, I yeah. love it. This is toilet, ancient toilets. That's wonderful. That's right. I, yeah, yeah, your your yeah your kid cracks me up. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, okay, so be uh, a bit of business because uh, because Katie has a book to sell. So let's not forget. And we're going to put that on where if this is going to be on every show page that you're ever on from here on out. But the, the current book, of course, is an ebook. It's called The New Orleans Bee Dispatches from the First Year of Louisiana's Longest Running French Language Newspaper. And the New Orleans Bee is or was, you know, a century old project, you know, you know, ran for 100 years, basically. And the book is about the first year that 1827 1828 and it just captivates me we'll put this yeah so yeah so so we're you know that's that's katie's big thing right now and everybody's going to go buy this book because it's a good it's a good book one other thing that this nobody's going to see it but i'm going to go get this t-shirt this crown that every time you adjust you know you should oh. cut, yeah we're zooming right now people Flirty yeah girl. the crown 
it's a, I thought that was a flirty girl. Flirty I think girl. that is, I, I, I don't know. I knew I'd seen it somewhere and it's a gorgeous, it's a, it's a very cute shirt. And so now I'm going to have to go to Lauren's website and rather than just snap a screen. Yeah. I'm going to go get the shirt. You know, I, I think couldn't this is too cute. podcast yeah. with Nola history guy and not wear my Nola <laughs> shirt. Okay. Yeah. Not wear a, yeah. But, and that's, but like I said, that's just, I'm saying, that's one of Lauren's shirts, you yeah. know, and I'm like, yeah. okay, that's all good, yeah. But I, I yeah, because I definitely have to. We're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, subject you to quarantine photography, right? You know, because <laughs> well, besides, it's a podcast anyway. But I, I, I keep looking at that shirt. I'm saying, it's one of Lauren's, and that's one I like, you know. So anyway, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That was excellent. All right, so again, the book is The New Orleans Bee, Dispatches from the First Year of Louisiana's Longest-Running French-Language Newspaper by Katie Shannon, who we've had with us now for a, uh, you know, a very wonderful segment on plantations up the river, folks, that we're going to keep talking about, and we're going to put we're going to we're going to put all this what we say we'll focus on uh look you know the the, the you know, locations of the three plantations so people can well you can get to whitney and laura evergreen's currently closed as we were talking um, so they um, are all currently closed okay um, there's all are still okay all are still but, um if y'all can okay. all give a good thought to the tourism industry my dear friends in the tourism industry are really hurting right now and yes uh, hard time so um god knows they want to reopen they all do they all want yeah. to yeah well that's what i say we'll put this all up on the show page and make sure that we get whitney laura and evergreen up and that way well the big thing too is we're talking and people need a geographic reference because absolutely you know, there's a lot of people say they want to come to new orleans you know it's like that new orleans uncovered group on facebook sure. is is like three thousand people who either barely come here it's it's tourists right you yeah. know which is fine don't get me wrong i'm not you know but that's what i'm saying as we're promoting this we need to well you know we need to give them the geographic references too so we'll put all that up on the show page we're going to pitch katie's book like nobody's business because you people need to support local authors damn it but anyway yeah it's like it's my running joke too is you know it's like because i i have a tendency to light up certain demographics in the community so i always you know, it's like at the at the end of a week, sometimes I'll go, hey, black people, go buy my book because now <laughs> I've just, I've alienated enough other people now that you people need to buy my damn book. Anyway, yeah. No. I, um, so I can relate. That resonates with yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, well, you know that challenge. We'll, uh, we'll have to do a political podcast one time. Um, I live that stuff. challenge. So, you want to talk about not, Robin can't tell people what to do sometimes because then they have questions. You know what I'm Right, because then they start, well, and they probably all start rolling their eyes when you start getting into, into slavery research, basically. Yeah. You know, and, it's, it's, yeah, oh, she's one of those. Yeah, it's yeah, incredibly yeah, so. polarizing, but very necessary. So let's keep, let's keep the conversation open and let's acknowledge that people need to learn. I need to learn. We all need to learn. That's that we is are. the best way to say it. Katie Shannon, thank you so much for being on NOLA History Guy podcast. And uh, we will do this again. This is twice and it's an incredible amount of fun. I know I've had a wonderful time. Thank you. And that's our podcast for this week. We're uh uh, yeah, we didn't do uh, you know this this uh, our, our pick from today in New Orleans history this week mainly because we just 
Katie and I just started talking so much and so much of it was was good that uh, there was no really no point in editing and cutting it down and editing it out and everything else. So since it's long enough as it is, we'll roll with that and we'll get back to our regular routine soon. So uh, you guys have have a great weekend. Have a good week coming up. Wash your hands and wear your masks for goodness sake. And we'll talk to you soon.